The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fast Money starts right now. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Pete Najari and Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin may be stuck in purgatory, but a new analyst at Bespoke says hold on for dear life. It is heading to 30000 this year. He'll tell us what has him so bullish. Plus, as media deals heat up, Lionsgate is rumored to be one of the hottest takeover targets out there. So is a deal in the works? The vice chair, Michael Burns, will be here for a special game of deal or no deal. Andy Cohen style. It promises to be a surprisingly candid interview that could have Hollywood and Wall Street talking. But first, we start off with a wild day for the market. Stocks initially surging nearly 200 points before reversing lower triple digits. And then just when you thought it was about to get ugly, turning around and ending the day at a record high. And at the center of the market moves today, the dollar. In this chart of the dollar, is just crazy. Take a look at it. It's really more of an interpretive chart, but that's the dollar index going lower and lower. The action today coming after conflicting signals from the Trump administration. Treasury Secretary touting the benefits of what we followed this morning in Davos. Later, the White House did try and clarify, saying they believe in a free-floating currency, which traders took as a bullish sign. Still, traders only had one question today, so just how low can the dollar go? And is it about to go from tailwind wow. to headwind? for stocks. Pete, what do you think? You know, say? it certainly could be a headwind. Was that you in the video, <laughs> by the way? Limbo and under <laughs> no, I, I cannot up? do that. My knees would Come not on. be able to All do right. that. Right. But it's, I think it still remains something that has to do with more, more of the velocity of the... <laughs> oh, that's Bachelor crazy. Party. The velocity of the moves, though, I think is what really matters. I, I, what, what's really interesting is the volumes that we've seen so far this year, and I was talking about that last week a little bit, too, but it continues this week. I mean, the volumes in the options derivatives world has been absolutely spectacularly... It's huge. And what, we, what did we see yesterday? We saw the EWJ, we saw EWZ, we've seen mm -hmm. EEM, we've seen all these various, basically the international world of what we're seeing right now. Huge paper coming into those areas. So, do, but on top of that, we're still seeing spider paper as well, the S&P 500. So we're seeing a little bit of both. It seems to be a bullishness about the global economies and how strong things are. I, I usually will not pay attention to the dollar that much, but if the velocity of the direction of the dollar starts to shift, then I'm going to have to pay much more attention. The dollar's at a three-year low. Treasury yields, a 10-year, is at a three-year high. Once yeah. upon a time, these things were correlated. And right now, there's a breakdown. So what, which, where do you take your cues from? Well, it's crazy town, including waking up today and hearing our Treasury Secretary talking about a weaker dollar. I mean, yeah. you know, this is, a, aren't we accusing China of this on a daily basis around here? So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I find the whole thing a little bit strange. Um, if you think about the dollar, 88.50 on the DXY, which, by the way, is mostly a dollar euro and a dollar yen cross, mostly skewed towards the euro. Um, but I think that's where you get some support. Ultimately, if you want to think about the dangers here, Import price inflation, I think a very big deal. As good as this is for multinationals, this is going to import a lot of inflation. Um, I think it's fantastic for asset prices. And if you look at the dollar chart, remember those inverse dollar trades. Obviously, emerging markets, but EM currencies, watch the Mexican peso. NAFTA or no NAFTA, that's a head and shoulders chart. Brazil broke out today. Copper is up 3.5%. And oil, which has already had a nice run, I think continues to get a huge boost from this. So largely, I think for assets, Weaker dollar, this is a massive 
massive boost on an asset run that's already had a lot of run. Exactly. It goes right to materials. And it's a conversation, obviously, Tim started months and months ago, but I think we continue to have it. The material sector should do well in this environment. Should it be a tailwind for multinationals? A weaker dollar? Yes, it will be. But think about this quickly. If our economy is 73% the consumer, mm -hmm. and if your buying power is being dwindled away on a daily basis, then you have a Treasury Secretary uh, talking about a weaker dollar being good for the United States. It might be good for multinationals. Guess what? It's not so good for the consumer. On top of which, if this inflation is imported, that's a double whammy. So although I do think it's a complete tailwind for companies and potentially stocks, the consumer is the real loser here. Yeah, so, you know, listen, the dollar going this way has been a very non-contrarian trade, right? Everyone's convinced that we're in this rate-tightening um, cycle all of 2017 into 18 that the dollar would rally. I think Jeffrey Gunlock was the only guy saying, no, you're all wrong, it's going lower. Um, so bringing it back to the stock market, what I find is kind of interesting is that, you know, the assumption that it's a tailwind for multinationals is an assumption that they continue to hedge in a way that's beneficial to their earnings, you know, relative to what they're taking overseas. And that's a big assumption. I'll just mention this. You know, we've seen a lot of volatility over the last year and a half in currencies and commodities and rates. Um, we haven't seen it in the stock market. The VIX was trading at, what, nine to start this yep. year. Now it's up a couple points, 11 and a half or so. And the stock market keeps inching higher. So it doesn't seem, volatility doesn't seem to want to budge. And when we look at some of the volatility we're seeing in single stocks just today in response to earnings, Texas Instruments down eight and a half percent. United Airlines down 10 percent. These were all stocks that were up on big rips here. And there was a level of complacency with them. You have one fundamental news, and it's, you know what the drill, escalator up, elevator down. So to me, I think the positioning we may start to see, if we start seeing intraday moves like this in the stock market, which wasn't substantial, but we're going on the 400th day without a 5% peak to trough decline. That's the longest period in 90 years that has happened. So to me, you may want to start thinking about correlations because everything's been correlated. It's been inching up higher. And you may want to start thinking about what you own, why you own it, how it's valued, what are the expectations, and where can it go from here on out in 2018. So you think perhaps people are overly positioned to a weak dollar in their portfolio and so there and if we I think see that become reversion, very complacent about it, it if we see a reversion that could really throw things I, I, out I, that's quickly. a good point and i mean yeah, ultimately I think about how deadly the dollar was when it was going higher uh, and i think for a lot of these 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 asset stories mm -hmm. and forget emerging markets and the things we just talked about but 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 a lot of these industrials we were talking about uh the pain trade there um does the dollar belong at you know at, at 89 and a half on on the dxy well think about it this way do you think that the euro is is overvalued here i do not I actually think the euro is undervalued. I think the euro is going to be at 130, if not 135, by the end of this year. So ultimately, that to me puts a little bit more downward pressure on the dollar. But um, I, I do think that there are U.S. multinational companies that we talked at length about, about where the dollar in those areas of the strong dollar days, and I think people are actually forgetting that the dollar could reverse on them. You know, what's interesting is that these multinational companies are the companies that wouldn't benefit as much from tax reform because most of their profits obviously come from overseas. So they have this benefit of the weak dollar, and then you have the domestic companies, small caps for the most part, and more domestically focused companies. They get the benefit from the tax reform. Everybody gets a benefit from someplace at right. this point. Somewhere. There's, there's a tailwind the, for right. everybody. Talk about the Goldilocks. I mean, everywhere you seem to look, it seems like there's some sort of story about something like that. I think what's interesting to me is we talk about different financials, we talk about industrials, we talk about the technology. I think the strength of this market continues to be something that's been involved in the entire 2017 run, which is rotation. 
And what we saw today when we saw the semiconductors actually getting pushed to the downside, Texas Instruments obviously leading that to the downside, technology was getting pushed down. But you know what? Financials look pretty good. You looked over at some of the industrial space, those look pretty good. So it, it's just this strength of this rotation, I think, that stands out to me that makes this rally believable. Now, are some of these names absolutely in the stratosphere? Absolutely. But some of them, they're also throwing off some incredible amounts of cash, which is also interesting. So, you know, I think you got to be very selective when you say which part of the market I want to be in and which stocks in that market I want to be in. All right. For more on the wheat dollar and how to play it, let's go off the charts with uh, our old money in motion friend. Yeah, money oh, in motion. remember that program? Yeah, sure. Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com at the Plasma. Hey, Todd. Hey, Melissa. It's been a long time. I think about five years. Um, <laughs> so listen, the dollar is at a really critical juncture here. Tim said it's crazy town here. We take a look at that U.S. dollar index. We're in a very well-contained trend channel. If you were to connect either the high with the simple trend line, control, copy, paste, and make a parallel, we have perfect symmetry on the way up. Moreover, we have the old highs right around the $88. If I can do my best straight line across, this right here is a really nice, where's my circle? This is a nice coincidence of support. The decision happens here. Depending on the angle of ascent, it's going to be around 88, maybe as low as 86. So if we break down through there, that is a major breakdown. Dollar free fall could be in play. I don't know what happens here. 50-50 chance we go higher or low from here, but that's your decision point. As we head over, the impact of the dollar you guys are talking about in the desk is with emerging markets. Beautiful chart here, inverse correlation of the U.S. dollar in orange on the right scale, emerging markets on the left scale. And you can see as EAM is going higher, dollar going lower. Now, what's happening has been a major uh, flow of capital into emerging markets, um, which is starting to get their central banks worried. They're becoming more hawkish, maybe increased interest rates, which is driving their currencies, which is pushing that dollar lower. So it's kind of a feedback loop. So as the emerging markets are pushing higher, dollar lower, and you know that 86 level, we drop through there, emerging markets could really continue to go. The next thing that we'll talk about has been, with this dollar drop, has been a major rally in commodities, this reflationary trade, gold. This chart, I mean, really just a very simple, clearly defined level, 1,400. If you were to go maybe another, <clears throat> excuse me, year or two back, gold came all the way from 1,900, kind of forming a base, man. If we rip up through 1,400, there's going to be a lot of stops going off there. Now, one thing I'd push back and say, well, not push back, but throw out to you, like, if the stock market by chance starts to head lower, gold could get a boost. If the stock market continues to head higher from lower dollar, gold could get a boost. So watch gold through 1,400. Hey, hey Todd, I know, it's a, I know it's, a, it's, a, it's a technical call on gold, but I mean, dollar doing what it's doing. You've had this political, you know, whatever you want to call it, and gold's done really almost nothing in the last year and a half. Yeah. I'm not impressed by that. It's, it's been super, super quiet, but back to the old money motion days, and you know as well as anyone, Five to, years ago. when foreign exchange... <laughs> tends to move, it goes bonanza. It goes bananas. When when it's quiet, it's really, really quiet. And gold kind of trades as a for, as a currency. So maybe the dollar and gold have been quiet for a while and it's time to go time to go uh, a little haywire. All right, Todd, thank oh. you. Todd Gordon, tradinganalysis.com and formerly of Money in Motion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's Money in Motion, man. That was quite a show, wasn't it? Those it's were fantastic. the days. Friday at five thirties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's, go to, let's go to gold, Mr. Bring that former back. gold Gold's trader. not a story until it's a story, and Tim Sykin hasn't done a lot. No, it has not done a lot, but it's had this slow, steady move to the upside, and I do think it's on the verge of potentially breaking out. Look at GDX, for example. A slow, steady move sideways to slightly high over the last six months. I think that's going to make a move higher. I think, listen, the fact that you now have Steve Mnuchin talking about a weaker dollar policy on the back of President Trump talking about it effectively six months ago leads one to believe that although maybe not 
They haven't said it officially. Mm -hmm. The policy of this country is now a weaker dollar, stronger commodity, stronger gold. When was the last time you heard a Treasury Secretary talk about the, the currency? Today was the first guy. time. Yeah. 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 That's why I asked the question. You know, it's funny about gold. I was looking at that GLG chart earlier, and it does look like a great setup for a breakout. But if you, you, you know, you're talking about the relative underperformance versus a lot of similar assets, don't think, I mean, if you don't think that cryptocurrency is gaining $200 billion in the has last year or something, gold. has eaten into gold, I mean, you know, what do they call it? They call it Bitcoin the digital gold. I mean, to me, it seems like gold is kind of for your grandpa now, and it's all about, you know, cryptos with the millennials. Now, I think that's, that's fair, <laughs> although I, I don't think people playing crypto were, were your gold bugs. In fact, we have a lot of gold bugs on this we used to. Um, they, they've gotten very quiet. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, the bottom line is I, I just think gold as an inflation hedge, as a political hedge, as a, as a chaos hedge, yeah. um, when you've been flat during the last two years, especially with the dollar down 13% in the last 12 months, that's not a trade that did you too well. All right. Coming up. The Bitcoin boom, not over yet, at least according to one Bitcoin analyst at a top research firm. He says the cryptocurrency is going to $30,000 by the end of this year. What's he smoking? Well, maybe it's oh. marijuana because the pot trade is heating up and Tim Seymour wants to get your portfolio high. He's got a top pot stock, he says, as a screaming buy. And later, airlines getting grounded as United sparks fears of a pricing war among the biggest airlines. But after you hear what United CEO said today, you might want to book some shares. We will explain what we mean when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of United getting slammed today after its earnings report and taking down the whole space with it after sparking fears of a pricing war. But despite the carnage, the CEO thinks his shares look cheap. Take a listen to what United boss Oscar Munoz said on CNBC earlier today. We expected it. We expected it in this range. And I think it's a buying opportunity. And I think over the course of the day, in the next couple of days, when everything settles in and people really absorb the story that we've told about the strategic path forward that's, I think, very clearly defined with accountable measures at the bottom, I think they're going to get it. Is he right? Is this a buying opportunity for United? Could this be your best chance to buy the airlines? First question, though, I have. Is United in a buyback program? No, I mean, like, I, I think ultimately this is a case where <laughs> so then that's sort the of a comments, meaningless comment. It's a strange comment, <laughs> but it's not. But it's not a strange comment for a guy who obviously wants to endorse his company. This is a guy who's had a little trouble communicating to the market, frankly, uh, over the last year and a half. Mm. Um, and and I think for investors that thought that things had changed in the airline sector over the last few years, what United said yesterday was something that has people start to challenge that. And, and therefore, I don't think this sentiment changes overnight. Um, and I think if you think about United saying, you know what, we're actually going to take on the low-cost carriers and we're going to cut prices and we're going to do all these things that are going to wreck our margins, that's huh. what has people saying the stock down 11 percent. Well, and to Tim's point, I mean, Mr. Munoz, he probably should sort of err on the side of saying less, not more. And maybe he just sort of blurted that out. I'm not sure. He shouldn't be speaking to the valuation of his company or the space in general, for that matter. But United's not a name that we've sort of gravitated towards for a number of different reasons. Delta's sort of been a name. I think Pete likes Alaska Air for probably similar reasons. But I'll say this. Their capacity growth for the next three years was, in a word, disappointing, and that's what obviously took down the rest of the space. I still think Delta is probably the best positioned and, in terms of valuation, maybe the most attractive. But I can understand why, if you've been in the space and enjoyed what's been a decent run over the last couple of weeks, 
today in those comments uh, scared you considerably. It, it will be I interesting agree. to see what Doug Parker of American has to say. He's going to be on Power Lunch tomorrow yeah. at 1 with Phil and to see whether or not he can allay these concerns. Well, and, and the biggest problem is we, we thought that we were over this whole thing, the increased yeah. capacity and yeah. going after each other once again and all that, and possibly the pricing wars. It is more of an attack on the discount carriers because this is not as an international thing. But it's it's interesting to watch this whole thing. It's also interesting to hear him say that it's a buyable at our stock at this level. That's really interesting. I love what Steve Wynn's done. I love what Jamie Dimon's done. I love what a lot of these CEOs have when done. When they actually say when it's buyable and they buy it. When they've it. done it. Yeah, they've actually executed on that. I think the one advantage you've got, got wait with Delta. to settle out. Green <laughs> April, Foster Munoz. But, but Delta, the interesting thing is they also, as energy prices have been rising, we all know that. We've been watching the energy space as that's moved to the upside. That becomes a little bit of a headwind as well, except for Delta does have the refining acquisition they made years ago. That helps. They throw off a lot of cash. They all trade, interestingly, when you talk about single-digit PEs, they're cheap. You add to airlines on this pullback? I own some Delta right now, right, but, right. I, but I don't know whether or not. You didn't think that, down 5% That really made Delta. me nervous. Well, 5% of Delta wasn't that big a deal. Okay. I think the United, I, I don't see why I need to be in there right now based upon what I heard today. I, I, did, did, I, did, I did a trim across the board, and you I did. said last right. night that I probably wasn't. So to be clear, what changed? I mean, I, I, I listened to. Munoz. A, well, yeah. <laughs> I listened to a sector that's feeding upon itself, and the mm -hmm. big three are in massive competition with each other. I don't think this changes overnight in terms of sentiment, even though I still think they're cheap. How does it not change anything about sentiment? I mean, you think about the It news. does. No, oh, it, it does. does. Massively. Okay, because two yes. weeks ago, this stock went from $69 to $79, and now it's given it all back in a day. So to me, I think sentiment's changed for the whole space right here. All right, still ahead. Trouble in Apple Paradise. The stock's sinking this week, and it could be about to get a lot worse for the tech giant. We'll explain. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. If it seems like Bitcoin is making a series of lower highs, that's because Bitcoin is making a series of lower highs. But according to a top research firm, it's about to triple. Oh, good. That makes me feel so much better. The man behind the call will explain what has him so bullish. Plus, let's make a deal. That's what investors in media stocks think will happen. And the head of Lionsgate will be here to separate fact from fiction when Fast Money returns. We had a conversation in the fall about Bitcoin. Uh, you've switched your view a little bit on this? I think you all have said enough. I'm not going to say any more. <laughs> you, 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 guys, you guys are the ones <laughs> popping this whole thing. You talk about it too much. You should stop talking about it and go back to something relevant. It's not my interest. I don't want to be a spokesman for or against. Not on this show. That was, of course, Jamie Dimon on Squawk Box this morning in Davos, where he doubled down on his skepticism of Bitcoin. But as you know, the J.P. Morgan CEO has really missed the mark on where the cryptocurrency will trade. Since Dimon famously called Bitcoin a fraud back in September, it soared about 158 percent, despite falling from its highs in December. What's more, Bitcoin's actually bounced today, even after Dimon's words from this morning. So is Jamie Dimon the contrarian crypto indicator? Dan? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think I like what he said this morning. He's basically saying, hey, listen, you know, um, there's some people at my firm who are looking at blockchain. There's some people at my firm mm -hmm. who are probably very interested in the notion of cryptocurrencies. Um, but I'm not going to talk about it. And most of the major banks aren't really talking about it. Did you see what Lloyd Blankfein said? He wouldn't answer the questions either about building a, a trading arm. So I, I don't think Jamie is a, um, a contrarian, you know, call here. Well, um, he didn't. He, I think he was saying he didn't ask to be the spokesman yeah. for or against. Right. And that's a totally fair something. comment on 
unfortunately, Jamie Dimon is a guy we all listen to, and 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 clearly, I think people are going to extend his words in places that maybe he becomes well, one by default. It's the th the thing is that he came at it so. <laughs> Adamantly, it's yeah, a so, fraud. You so could have said called, so many things that's the up to fraud. He opened up this box, right? Because he right? went all the way to the extreme yeah. against it. And I think what, what I'm taking away from this is not necessarily a pro or con. He's, he's just saying we spend too much time on it. Is what he's saying essentially, right? He thinks there are other areas of the market that we should be looking at, whether that's the dollar, whether it's something in the earnings right now, whatever. But he is definitely pushing. Go ahead. I no, see, I think I, no, he's right, and he called it a fraud. <laughs> I don't think he was talking. I can't get inside Mr. Yeah, Diamond's yeah. head, but I'll play the game. I don't think he was necessarily talking about where the price was going. Now, if he right. made the same comments, by the way, when Bitcoin was trading north of 15,000 and it traded two days later, it's 20,000. Now it's currently, we'd be saying what a genius he was in terms of his uh, anticipation of said move. So right, right. I don't think of anything's changed move. other than the fact that. His call was happened when it was a six thousand dollar item instead of a fifteen thousand. So, so here's what I would say: is here's a guy who runs one of the biggest banks in the world, and he sees this new technology, blockchain technology, as something that could massively disintermediate many Eventually. different businesses yeah. that he has. He also sees it as a massive drain on talent. Okay, some of the smartest tech minds, financial minds and stuff, are focused on this, and they're not going to work at banks and that sort of thing. So to me, I think he's thinking about this in the rearview mirror, saying, you know what, there's nothing here other than risk for me right now, and that's probably why it's coming out the way it is, because I don't think either one of these interviews, you know, come across particularly well. I don't think he looks bad by any means, but he's just saying, this is not my deal. We're not focused on it. We're doing right. what we do. So, you know, go have at it, millennials. Well, Jamie, we hope you're listening closely. We know that you do watch our show sometimes because our next guest says Bitcoin could hit $30,000 by the end of the year. Dan Ciotoli is a blockchain analyst from Bespoke Investment Group. He joins us now to tell us what could drive the next Bitcoin boom. Dan, great to have you with us. Good you to have you, too. You actually lowered your Bitcoin forecast mainly because of the pullback, but you say that it's lightning that is going to be the real driver of value. Can you explain? So I think that the Lightning Network um, could really be huge for Bitcoin in 2018 um, because what I'm not seeing now is commerce um, involving Bitcoin. So no one's actually selling goods or services for Bitcoin in a way that's uh, profitable to them because those transaction fees are just so high. So with Lightning Network, you'd see a big reduction in transaction fees. And I think that would bring in uh, the next wave of people um, to uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem. And so this will impact Bitcoin more so than other cryptocurrencies that are also trying to speed up. I mean, some of them already have faster transaction speeds. So there are uh, differences, of course, among all the cryptocurrencies, but the impact of Lightning Network will be limited to, I believe, Bitcoin and Litecoin. There may be other ones that I'm leaving out, but those mm -hmm. are just the um, ones I'm aware of off the top of my head. Um, there are also, you know, Ethereum has a bit faster transactions than Bitcoin, but it still could run into the same issue if um, it gets the same usage that Bitcoin does. So, and, and Dan, before we get farther into this conversation, can you explain um, in real simple layman's terms what the Lightning Network is and does? So the Lightning Network essentially facilitates um, agreements between people um, to transact off-chain. So you're kind of trusting. So Bitcoin was made to kind of be this trustless network, but 
with Lightning, you are trusting that other person. But if there is a dispute, you can take that to the blockchain as kind of a settlement layer. Mm. Dan, is there a publicly traded bank or financial institution that the folks at home have heard of, for example, a city or J.P. Morgan or Morgan Stanley, that has separated themselves in terms of integrating or the potential integration of blockchain going forward? So that's not really my area of expertise. Uh, you, you'd have to ask uh, Paul Hickey about that one. All right, well, we will do that. Uh, Dan, we're going to leave it there. Thanks for your time. Thank you, too. Dan Chotoli of Bespoke. All right. Although Citibank is in the block ETF. Yeah, which well, is it is. Alleged yeah. to be finding those companies. The biggest that are investments of its peers into blockchain. So, technology. so one of, I think one of the, his, the bear cases with Bitcoin is that it's called a cryptocurrency, but yet it's, it's not, not a currency. To, yeah. Yes, it's not used to transact. And so, you know, people are thinking about it as a store of value. So, what they're talking about with the Lightning Network, it's actually making it uh, more usable and it's going to actually create larger network effects and more users are going to make it more mm -hmm. valuable, that sort of thing. And so, if you like, Bitcoin for Lightning, then you like Ethereum because of what they are doing with smart contracts there. So um, he does bring up the point about speeds, transaction speeds, and that's something that these networks are going to be have to upgrade all the time. So to me, um, yeah, keep a check. Uh, you know, for you guys out there, maybe that wasn't enough on Lightning. Go read about it because that is a major part of the Bitcoin bull case. Yeah, but for Ethereum, for the use on Ethereum in terms of transactions and such, this. Lightning Network could actually make those faster as well. Correct. I would think what, that that's not as critical unless you're actually making payments. Well, it isn't. I mean, so so the Ethereum bull case is very different. It's about basically building apps for the decentralized web right, right. for all intents and purposes. So to me, like, you know, the way I think about buying these two, and again, I'm a speculator. I'm not BK. I'm not one of these experts. Mm. But that's those are the use cases that I want to be focused on these crypto assets because to me, that's what's interesting from a technology standpoint. Well, it's just interesting to hear that congestion on the networks is, is certainly yeah. something that all these guys need to overcome. And, and Ethereum at least seems as if they have a technology solution in the short run, and that's one of the reasons why it has become the most popular place for developers. Still ahead, deal chatter heating up in the media space with Lionsgate at the helm, but has anyone actually approached the media giant for a takeover? Lionsgate Vice Chairman Michael Burns will be here to separate fact from fiction. Plus, Tim Seymour stepping up to the plate to pitch one smoking hot pot sock. He says he could fly even higher, but can he convince the other traders to take a hit? <laughs> and if you're counting at home, that's three cheesy puns and one tease. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple and the semis getting crushed today. Josh Lipton's in San Francisco with all the details. Hey, Josh. Melissa, Apple will report earnings re results next week, but ahead of that report, some on the street are raising new questions. The latest, Bernstein's Tony Sakanagi, who published a note today. Now, Sakanagi still rates Apple outperform price target of 195 bucks, but he says that while his analysis points to limited risk to December quarter iPhone units, he sees weak sequential growth for the March quarter. So how would investors react to such disappointment? Sakanagi says it's hard to know. Investors might have to bounce disappointing iPhone unit growth with encouraging pricing power, which he says could offset much of that weakness. Now, remember, this follows a downbeat note from J.P. Morgan this week. There, analysts project weak iPhone 10 orders and say that manufacturing of that device might be down 50 percent between the December and March quarters. On the other hand, a bullish take from the team at Kenaccord Genuity. Now, they actually raised their price target on Apple to 200 bucks, banking on new features and improving supply to drive what they say is going to be a strong 
strong upgrade cycle. Also, take a look at the semis you mentioned, Melissa. The SMH was down today. Its worst day since December 4th. That broke an eight-day win streak, though it's still up almost 9% on the year. One notable chip name taking a big hit and a real drag there, Texas Instruments, which offered March quarter guidance that showed top-line deceleration and clearly frustrating investors. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you so much, Josh Lipton. Um, now, for those of you new to the show, stocks go down when there are more sellers than buyers. Huh. Doesn't so happen weird. a lot, though, with Apple. Um, so who's buying this dip? And what's interesting is Josh outlined some of the, the bearish analyst takes more recently. It's gotten two downgrades. It's gotten a bunch of um, unit shipment cuts for this quarter, for the March quarter, that is. Um, the stock is only off 3% from its all-time high. Pretty shallow thus far. I mean, it, it, not yeah, to say yeah, that it couldn't come further, but uh, and Tony Saganaki today was just talking about units, and he was concerned about the number of units. Is this going to lower? But he also talked about pricing power. So you talked about the fact that the revenue and earnings could actually still be pretty close to in line, maybe a little below, a little above, somewhere in there, but that's still a concern. I'm less concerned about that because I, 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 they're going to have to show me once and for all, that the units are not what, what everybody is now starting to revise down. I'm, I'm not believing that right now. I know they're talking about the suppliers, but Katie Huberty just a week or so ago was talking about China and the numbers that they're running right now, right. and they're significantly different than what we're hearing today. So we're just going to have to find out when they finally but deliver that, to us that, what those numbers truly that's are. That's where they're talking about iPhone 10 weakness is in China. That's what I'm saying. They have completely different views, right. though, right now, correct? Well, I'll just that's say So saying. I listened to Tony on the halftime, and I thought it was yeah. a really interesting call. I thought it was a very balanced call. He's basically saying that they... He wasn't put, negative. No, uh, well, listen, if, if the units really are being cut sequentially 50%, it means that there is no iPhone super cycle. It's not happening. So that whole thing was a myth last year, okay? And so then what happens is you have to think about this, that most of these iPhone 10s sold about $1,200, okay? ASPs last year on average for their iPhones were $650, so what okay? The Did this company... If the units are really bad and they guide down units for 2018, did they just make one of the most massive mistakes ever in a product that accounts for 70% of their sales? Except, that's the question. Except, I'm not telling you that it's right or wrong or anything like that. Except their margins go up still. They, they, they and the revenue numbers still go up. Okay, right? but, 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 but if the upgrade cycles are being elongated, okay, and you're just going to start thinking about it the way you think about your laptop, how often do you buy a laptop But the upgrade cycle is only elongated because there was component issues. I mean, you can't tell me that if they had everything in place that we wouldn't have seen at least a much more condensed upgrade cycle. And I don't know how long it goes. I do think that the fact that they, they threw the 8 on top of the 10 confused a lot of people. And then they With started... different launch dates. Then there, right. And then there was a lot of price cuts on the 7s and promotions, and in fact, they were selling more 7s. So some of that is confusing, but to say Apple's not going to hold on to ASPs and margins, look, I, I think the wow factor of the of the Asian hardware, uh, whether it's Samsung or Huawei or any of these guys that are growing and stealing... Uh, market share, it's, it's, it's a factor for, for Apple. I, I agree with that. But I, I think Apple has proven they can hold on to margins at a time when they're growing their services business. But this is a 2% pullback. Yeah. How's the chart look? In terms of Apple, I mean, it always looks fine. I don't think this is a big I mean, this is a blip on the screen. Now, getting yeah. back to the semis real quick, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you discussed last night, Texas Instruments, I think, listen, I don't think the guide was horrible last night, but I think people said, wait a second, it trades at 22 times forward earnings. Maybe it doesn't deserve this valuation, but quite frankly, stock went from 95 to 120 in about two weeks. Yeah. So this is probably just a healthy recovery. I still think Micron looks interesting. You know, this 42 and a half level seems to be support. You got Qualcomm at the end of the month. If you're looking for a flyer in the space, I think with all the news circulating around Qualcomm, that's the one that'll get you done. And before Qualcomm, we got Intel. They're reporting tomorrow after the bell. And uh, 
the options markets and find some pretty interesting moves here. So, Dan, what are you seeing? Yeah, so this has obviously been a pretty volatile stock. It's underperformed the broad market and the SMH, which is up 11% year-to-date. Uh, Intel is down. We know the reasons. Call volume, though, ran kind of hot today, three times average daily volume. The implied move um, for Friday, the one-day move post-earnings, about 3.5%. That is a little rich to the 3.25% average over the last four quarters. And just, you know, just identifying some action here. Um, the largest trade of the day was a block of 7,500 of the um, February uh, 50 and a half calls. Actually, the Jan, I'm sorry, the Jan weeklies um, traded about 15 cents. Um, to me, that's kind of a long shot there. So to me, you know, I don't know if they're bought or sold, but it was interesting that you're seeing action there above the 52-week highs. Real quickly, we have a one-year chart. We know this stock broke out after their Q3 earnings, and it's held those gains. Spectre, Meltdown, those are going to be the focus here. I suspect you see this stock in that range that it's been in over the last couple months. You know, Intel's had a lot of different paper over the last couple of weeks, and most of it being bullish. There's been some protective put buying in there as well, what looks like protection to me. But it's interesting, Dan, so what do you, when you look at that and you see them going as high up as they are right now, yeah. Do you view that as somebody trying to protect a stock position in some way? Well, or do you view that it more could be as leverage for a breakout? I mean, we have a long-term chart. Look at the 20-year chart. This is one of the only semi mega cap semis who's not gotten back to its bubble highs. When I say bubble, the last bubble, not the current bubble. Um, so to me, you know, it could be a leverage on a long position, giving yourself uh, a month of February. No, he said the current bubble too. Oh, did you not just the last I one. Kidding. I picked up. I was kidding. <laughs> the current bubble. For more options, action check out the full show. That's Friday, 5:30 Love Eastern it. time. Still ahead, media M&A heating up in 2018 and Lionsgate has a big target on its back. So um, are any of the takeover rumors true? Lionsgate Vice Chairman Michael Burns will be here to set the record straight. Plus, pot has been hot this year. In Tim Seymour's one high-flying name, he says, could light up your portfolio. Find out what it is when he delivers his fast pitch. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Lights, camera, deals. <laughs> M&A action is heating up in the media space as a number of potential takeover targets have emerged. Let's get to Julia Borson now in L.A. with the very latest. Hi, Julia. Melissa, analysts were asking questions during Verizon's call yesterday and Comcast's call today as everyone looks to see what consolidation will follow AT&T's pending acquisition of Time Warner and Disney buying Fox's entertainment assets. Despite plenty of speculation that Verizon would follow rival AT&T and make a big purchase, CEO Lowell McAdams said, quote, I can say unequivocally that there is nothing going on right now with us considering a large media play. McAdams pointing to recent deals with the NBA and NFL as to why it doesn't need to make an acquisition. This morning, Comcast CEO Brian Roberts weighed in on his company's potential deals. You look at inorganic opportunities that come along and you have a bar. I think I'd say that there's nothing we feel we have to acquire. And I think that's an important point to emphasize. So I think we set it high. There's still plenty of speculation. New Street Research saying it believes Comcast isn't committing more to stock repurchases in case an M&A opportunity presents itself. And of course, it's not just Comcast. CBS and Viacom shares both moving over the past week on speculation about a recombination of the two companies. And Lionsgate shares, they're up about 8% over the past week on reports that it could perhaps be part of a CBS-Viacom combination or an acquisition target for the likes of an Apple or an Amazon. And then, Melissa, of course, there's also the question of the regulatory environment. Back over to you. All right. Thank you very much, Julia Borson. So is Lionsgate a deal target? Let's find out. Here now is Michael Burns, vice chairman of Lionsgate. Michael, great to see you. Melissa, nice to see you again. You know, Michael, you know that we like to have fun in this show. So it's time to play a little 
plead the fifth. And that's, of course, a blatant ripoff of our friend Andy Cohen, in case you don't watch the show. Basically, we're going to ask you three questions. You can only pass or plead the fifth on one of them. First up. Wow. <laughs> First up, what are your thoughts about a potential deal with Verizon? Again, I, I saw the comments that they didn't have any big deals on the horizon. It'd be interesting to hear the definition of big. Obviously, uh, Verizon has a giant market cap. So, uh, again, I wouldn't specifically talk about a deal, but uh, I think Verizon ultimately has to decide what businesses they're going to be in. And uh, like others, whether... <laughs> Whoa! Tough crowd. That didn't seem fair. I mean, that wasn't fair. Well, he's saying that it just doesn't make any sense All right. for... I All mean, right, so he's... I mean, there's also the notion of, of basically making a deal with a phone company. I mean, can you see the synergies there? That's what a Verizon well, deal look, is, broadband and phone. Yeah. Well, obviously, you take a look at AT&T. That's a phone company. They're yeah. a giant 800-pound uh, gorilla. And uh, we're very interested in that, uh, that uh, antitrust lawsuit. Okay. Let's move on here. What about Comcast, which is, of course, the parent company of our network? Does that make sense to deal with Comcast? Look, the Comcast Universal deal, I think, was what probably the deal of this century in the media space, besides some of the deals that, uh, that Iger has done over at, uh, at Disney. So, again, you have to show organic growth or you have to buy, uh, make acquisitions. Uh, something like us uh, would obviously be a bolt-on acquisition for them. So that would make sense for a Comcast Lionsgate tie-up. <laughs> Nice applause. Okay, and finally, Michael, your take on uh, a deal with Amazon. Well, again, you've got Amazon with, what is it, 70 million Prime subscribers, huge, uh, huge uh, customer base. We're doing a lot of business with them. We released a couple movies with them, The Big Sick, as well as Manchester by the Sea. So, uh, again, we're a customer of Amazon's, and we think there's more and more to do with them. More to do with them. Nice. Wow. All right, we do want to get to a bonus round, Michael, and, and this is what Julia had mentioned, a recombination of CBS Viacom, which would then combine with Lionsgate. Does that make sense to you? I do think the combination between the two of them, I think that's, that ultimately may well happen, and it's for no other reason than you've got Sherry Rhodes, Redstone and the Redstone family that control by, controls both companies. So, again, uh, there could be a potential combination. It could be a three-way deal or a two-way deal. All right, and, you know, we've been sort of going through this, Michael, to get your take on each one, but for the one that you said would make sense for Comcast, have you talked to Brian Roberts? Have you talked to our bosses about, about any of that, about a potential tie-up or, or, or something deeper than just a partnership? Julia, I, I mean, uh, Melissa, I could never say specifically who we're talking to, but we talk to everybody all the time. Uh, we are now a $7 billion market cap company. We're, uh, you know, a pint-sized bite for some of these giant market cap companies. And so, again, uh, our job is to create shareholder value, enhance shareholder value. So we would talk to anybody at any time and see if a deal makes sense. It sounds like, though, you are open, most open to a deal based on your answers to an Amazon or a Comcast. I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick a favorite uh, potential partner. But again, a lot of these companies, particularly in the tech space, they have to ask themselves, do they want to build it or do they want to buy it? And then the question is, how far ahead are others, if they want to be in the streaming business and subscription business in a bigger way, mm -hmm. uh, how far ahead are others? And if they believe they're pretty far ahead, then my guess is the answer would, would be that they'd buy it as opposed to build it. Is Lionsgate going to be a, a standalone company in two years, Michael? You know, I don't have a crystal ball. I've said all the time that uh, John Malone is the only one that I know that has one of those. So, again, 
We've talked about predator versus prey. I mean, look, we're very interested in that consolidation space. Again, I, I mentioned AT&T before, which is, you know, you have this 800-pound gorilla that actually bought uh, DirecTV. And now we look at this Time Warner merger and say, well, wait a second, you now have an 800-pound gorilla that has, uh, is handing a bazooka, which we call HBO, uh, to the gorilla and say, and by the way, don't kill the competition, i.e. Showtime or Stars. Obviously, that's something very important to us. All right, Michael, we're going to leave it there. It's always great to speak with you. Thanks for your time. Melissa, nice to see you. Michael Burns, the vice chairman of Lionsgate. What do you think, Guy? I think he's a stud, number one. I think he's one of the first guests we ever had on our show. If you recall, yeah. when Lionsgate was a $7 stock and Carl Icahn was yeah. fricasseeing yep. them daily and Michael stuck to his guns, and now look at us 10 years later where he is. So good for Michael Burns. And he does, doesn't have a crystal ball. He doesn't know. I think they're fine just doing themselves on the independent front. I will say this name we've mentioned for quite some time that is now being talked about in the same sphere as Discovery Communications. They're moving their, their headquarters up here to New York. I don't know if that means anything, but that's a stock that's had a huge run over the last couple of weeks, and I think that's one to continue to run. He, he talked about adding shareholder value. I mean, the stars deal these guys. Stock's up 75% at that time. They totally flawlessly integrated this company. They're platform agnostic. He said it. Yeah, he said build versus buy, too. These co big companies are going to have to decide. You know, think about what Netflix is doing. What do they have, 120 million subscribers, and they had a negative cash flow of $2 billion last year. This is a company with $4 billion in sales. Like he said, it's got an enterprise value of about $5 billion. This is an easy bite for somebody who wants to get into the space and immediately compete with the big guys like HBO and Netflix. I yeah. sure may, uh, That Amazon thing really sounds interesting to me because he's he, the warmest he felt when you asked those questions was well, Amazon. That was the way you read Absolutely. body language. Yeah. Uh, stocks up, by the way, uh, Lionsgate, that is more than 3% right now. Mm. Still ahead, pot stocks have been on fire. Our very own pot master. <laughs> That's a new title, Tim. Tim Seymour's one cannabis play that he says could light up your portfolio. Will the other traders take a hit or a pass? Find out when he delivers his fast pitch. Much more fast money after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pot stocks have been heating up, and since Tim is our resident pot master, we thought it's time, the perfect time for a pot pitch. So he's over at the Plasma, so tell us which pot stock you think could go even higher, Tim. Well, I'm a cannabis investor, Mel, and ultimately <laughs> I want to bring you guys to a name up in Canada called MedRelief. Trades under the ticker Leaf.to up there. Um, it's a $3.5 billion Canada, Canadian dollar company, which to me, ultimately, look, there's a couple things that are really important here. Best in class, I mean in terms of operation. These guys have the best EBITDA margins. They are cash flow positive. At a time, people are wondering, do these companies make money? These guys absolutely are. They're the number two player in Canada, and they're the number two player in Canada at a time when Canada is really the global leader right now. They're fully medical, and they're going to be fully recreational in July. And these guys are going from medical to recreational. So, again, the key here is ultimately this is the name of a company uh, that has been exposed on the medical side. They're building a brand at the same time. They're also building a they're building a, a business that's based upon the genetics. In fact, a lot of these strains are coming from Israel where there's medicinal efficacy testing that's been proven in a number of different areas. That's why they get a premium. Stocks had a massive run in the last year. I think if you look at right in here, this is kind of the session's bottom. Remember, if they remove that coal bill, medical marijuana in the U.S., which is not where these guys are right now, is still fine. So the sector is still on the medicinal side to me. This is why you're a cannabis investor, and that's why I think there's a long-term future here. Tim, my quick question would be, do they have enough of a head start to fend off the competition that we all know is coming down the pike? 
I think they do, and and I think the look the bigger issue for a lot of these producers is truly what's going on with pricing. And and you know if you think about it in the commodity space, there's always a commodity response. But I think the bigger getting bigger, and in fact that's why I think there's a there's a land grab right now with Canopy, Medrelief, Aurora. Um, some of these big companies I think are going to be the guys that either get consolidated by the big boys, good for them, or they're the ones that push everybody else out. No more questions now. Time to vote. Are you mm. buying Tim's pitch on med relief? Pete. I love the cash flow positive. Tim, I think, had a good sell on that whole thing. I prefer Scott's Miracle Grow or some of the, the names on the side, but I love this name as well, Tim. Dan. Uh, yeah, I see you fire it up. With Tim here, oh, uh, you buy this bad boy. He's doing a little Peter Lynch investing there, trying the little <laughs> product there. I think you probably could go right with it. <laughs> what? Nobody no, said what? that he's tried the product, well, by I'm the way. Yeah, well, for him, if he has, apparently it's legal in some no, states, so you should try it. I'm with legal. Tim. It says cash flow positive. They have bankers behind him, solid margins. Giddy up. G yeah, exactly. You giddy up. Right. Uh, you vote in our Twitter poll right now on Twitter at CNBC Fast. <laughs> results right after this. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. I'm Kayla Tausche in Washington. The president speaking to reporters and making headlines on the Russia investigation and on immigration. He says he looks forward to speaking with special counsel Robert Mueller and that his lawyers tell him that will happen in two to three weeks. On immigration, he says dreamers should get legal status immediately and that he's open to a path to citizenship in 10 to 12 years. Melissa, back to you. Kayla, thank you. Um, Pete Nigerian, is this an uncertainty for the markets talking to Mueller? The president uh, talking to Mueller. It, it, it certainly is interesting, but I'll tell you what, you want a little volatility. I think we're going to see a little volatility in the markets. Fair enough. Uh, time for the final. Oh, you know what? We're going to do the yeah. Pete. KRE, regional banks going higher. Tim. As I pitched, and as I think as you should, leaf.to, med relief. Dan. Yeah, I like Lionsgate at 35 bucks. E. Discovery Communications, Melms. Uh, I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.